Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our studies in the life of Christ and currently studying the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon that Jesus probably ever preached that we know of anyway. Uh, we're going to look at two of the Beatitudes this morning. And again, that's what we're covering right now is the Sermon on the Mount beginning in chapter 5 with the Sermon on the Mount, verses 6 and 7. So let's go ahead and read verse 6 as we start off this morning. And Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Again, they is an important word because only they who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. The reward for being uh, desirous of uh, hungry and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. The world, if the world, I should say, if this world live this beatitude, that is, if they had a desire for righteousness, it would do a lot more, or it would do more to bring peace to this world and all of the peace treaties that the world has or puts put together and all the protest marches put together. There wouldn't be any wars. There would be lasting peace. Our country has lost a lot of respect from other nations around the world. Because we used to proclaim and live by biblical principles, but not so much anymore. As a matter of fact, the Bible and biblical principles, the world is becoming more hostile towards those things today than ever before. Uh, we've abandoned our morals. We've abandoned our standards. And our nation has reached the lowest level of depravity and perversion we've ever seen. But hey, we're not finished yet. We're still going down. You know, at a breakneck speed. So it's, uh, we're, we're, you know, it's just sad to see. But we haven't seen anything yet. Because the Bible tells us that it's going to get even worse. But if our nation would follow after righteousness, it would do more to exalt our nation than anything else we could ever do. Proverbs 13, 13 30, I'm sorry, Proverbs 14, 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You see, when a group of people live lives of righteousness, it has a, a positive effect. The word exalt means to lift up. It's used here in a moral sense. But sin, on the other hand, has an opposite effect. It's a disgrace. It's a reproach. It's a shame. But not a lot of people care about or pay much attention to what the Bible says these days. Now, this fourth beatitude here in verse 6 is more of a desire than a demand. It's something that, that we are to want to do. or to, it's, a, it's a desire we are to have more than a, depend, a demand or a command that you must obey. The emphasis of this beatitude is righteousness. It means to be right with God and to live right with one another. This desire for righteousness means the desire to be free from sin in every way. To hunger and thirst after righteousness is a desire for nothing more than to be holy as God is holy. And, you know, we read it several times in the scriptures about, you know, God is holy, therefore you be holy. And we need to pursue holiness, Hebrews twelve fourteen says. We are to pursue or follow holiness because it says without it, we won't see God. Now think about that. It, tells, it says to us that, that our salvation hinges on holiness. Without holiness, we're not going to see God. 
To follow holiness is to live a holy life. Now, most men are following unholiness from the time they get up to the time they go to bed. Living a holy life will help you to keep from failing spiritually. Again, Hebrews 12, 14 says, Without holiness, no man, no man shall see the Lord. Hunger and thirst are strong desires. Now, when you're hungry, there's only thing you want to do. And that's eat. If you're hungry and you say, I'm hungry, and somebody says, hey, let's go for a walk. I don't want to walk. Hey, well, let's, you know, take a drive. I don't want to drive. I want to eat. Because that's the only thing that's going to satisfy that desire, that desire. When you're thirsty, the only thing that's going to satisfy that desire is drink. It's the same thing. If they suggest, hey, let's go do this. No, no, I'm thirsty. I want to drink. Nothing else will satisfy those desires more than fulfilling that which is required or you're asking. You won't settle for anything else. David said in Psalm 42, 1 and 2, he said, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The psalmist's soul, David's soul, was thirsting for God. He wanted God. He was desiring God. And David gives us a picture of a deer wanting water more than anything else. And the word pants, it means to bray or to cry out for water. David is giving us the picture here of a very intense desire for water. And this hunger and thirst isn't just a temporary desire. Your hunger and thirst isn't temporary, is it? It goes on all day, every day for the rest of your life. It's a desire that needs to be fulfilled, a very intense desire. And like I said, it's not a temporary desire. It's not going to go away for long. It's an ongoing desire throughout your life. The Christian should always be and wanting very much to be holy and upright and pure. If we really had this constant desire, it would stop many lives from being corrupted and eventually ruined. People who show this kind of attitude will be interested in reading their Bibles and praying. These people will make it a point to have their daily devotional times. These people will be seen regularly in church. These people won't be found doing sinful things or hanging out with the sinful crowds. Reading and praying and going to church regularly emphasize that these people want to be holy. They want to be righteous, clean, and godly. Now, the people who show this beatitude give strong proof that they have a healthy, faithful, spiritual life. A healthy faith and a spiritual life. The the kind of things that we're hungry for will show a lot about our character. What are the things that you desire? If a person isn't hungry and they're not eating, it's a sign that something's wrong with them physically speaking. They're not in good health physically speaking. But if a person is eating well and has a good appetite, they're feeling well. They're in good health. It's the same thing spiritually speaking. No desire to read and pray and to go to church is a, 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 is a sign that there's a spiritual sickness. There's a lack of spiritual health. If one is reading and praying and going to church regularly, these are signs of good spiritual health. So this beatitude shows the condition of a person's faith and spiritual condition. Now, this is another beatitude that isn't valued by the world. As a matter of fact, this world laughs at those who want to go to church. They ridicule those who want to read the scriptures. 
They laugh at those who want to be honest and upright and godly. Instead, they honor those who are poor in character. It seems that the world likes to reward people who are poor in their character. I mean, all you have to do is watch the people who get the awards on the TV shows. They're the ones that get the political votes. They're the ones that get the Grammys, the Oscar, the Nobel Prizes. They get their picture on the cover of Time or Newsweek. This is another beatitude here that the world says or sees as a killjoy. Because the world, they, the world thinks that to be happy, you have to live a wild life. That you have to go out and do everything that you want to do. They ridicule the Christian who doesn't want to take part in evil behavior or evil things. And yet Jesus and the scriptures tells us that it's holiness that brings us real happiness. And, and many people think that even and many Christians think that that our happiness is more important to God than anything else. So a lot of Christians believe that God cares more about our happiness than holiness. Now, when you read the scriptures. See, maybe you've seen it, but I haven't. How many times have you read where God says, oh, I have afflicted them with happiness. I read he's afflicted them with pain. He's afflicted them with suffering. He's afflicted them with trials and tribulations. And Jesus, as a matter of fact, he promised them in this world, you will have much tribulation. But I've never read, I have afflicted them with happiness. No, because the trials and the joys and the suffering and the pain, those result in happiness if you get through them God's way. If we learn through the trials and the afflictions that God gives us, to deal with them God's way, we will end up happy. Because it's through those things where God teaches us true joy and real happiness. You know, I see where Job was afflicted with boils and pain and to where he wanted to die. The story of Joseph, his, his brothers would have killed him if it wasn't for the older brother. Spent a couple of two terms in prison with fault for being falsely accused of rape. So again, these are the kind of things that, that, that we experience oftentimes. But again, you look at the result of Joseph, what God did through all of that, second, in, second highest command in all, all of Egypt. When you look at Job, God said of Job, he was the most righteous man that, that ever lived. So you see, the result of those things are for our good. And when we are truly living for God, holy lives, that's when we really are happiness. So again, it's sin and not holiness that brings sorrow to people's lives. God cares more about your holiness than he does your happiness. The world is pretty blind when it comes to this area because they mock what's right. And the world welcomes the wrong. Even though it's the wrong things that are always messing them up and robbing them of joy and blessings. Here's something crazy to me. Even though the world isn't really interested in righteousness. And though they have a very small taste of, if any at all, for righteousness. They blame God for all the evil in the world. That is caused by all of their unrighteousness. You see, God's not at fault. The lack of righteousness in the world is not God's fault. It's all man's fault. 
If man had a hunger for righteousness, it would stop the crime problem. It would stop the violence problem. It would stop the drug problem and many other problems. It would basically stop, in general, the wicked character of society and life, bringing it to a new level. So how do we get this hunger for righteousness? How about through worship? You'll never develop much of an appetite to do the right thing if you don't worship God. One of the benefits of true worship is that it inspires you to holiness. You know, I know after spending time in church, you know, I I, I leave re-energized. A desire to live a holier life, to live a life with more dedication to the ways of God. And I've also experienced in my own life that the longer I'm away from church, the more I lose my appetite for righteousness. Another way of, de- of, of developing this the desire for, for a hunger for righteousness is reading the Word of God. God's Word promotes righteousness. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.11, Your Word I have hidden in my heart. Here's why, that I might not sin against you. Getting into God's Word will inspire you and work up a spiritual appetite. Do we spend more time reading the newspaper or magazines or social, being on social media, TV or movies or whatever it might be? How about serving the Lord, getting busy, working for serving God? That will develop a hunger for righteousness. And you'll see how fast you'll work up an appetite for righteousness. How about watching? Or I should say, how about being watchful? That is careful in the things that you do. Now, this one can be a little tricky because there's a lot of things that aren't harmful in themselves and they're perfectly okay but here's the thing here's what we have to be watchful if you're spending a lot of your time doing those things though they're not they're they're perfectly okay but they cause you to spend less time with god though you're trying to hunger and thirst for righteousness you have to avoid them anything that takes us away from spending time with god or more time with god we ought to avoid them Prayer is also a part of watchfulness. Jesus said to his disciples, keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. Watching and praying. Wanting to be righteous will be helped a lot by prayer. The psalmist said in Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God. That was his prayer. Prayer is necessary if we're going to fulfill any requirements of these Beatitudes. You have to pray often, and you have to pray fervently. And then, after you do all of the above, uh, the above Jesus promises you this. You will be filled. You will be filled. Those who hunger for righteousness, hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Once again, this filling is limited only to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. A lot of people focus on the promises. You know, they'll look at this and, oh, you'll be filled. Yeah. If you hunger for thirst, uh, uh, again, for righteousness, hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. But like I said, many times people only look at the promises of God. But they don't look at the conditions for receiving the promises. Here's a favorite scripture that I hear quoted all the time. God will give you the desires of your heart. There's a whole lot more to that verse. 
But that's the only part we look at. Oh, you, 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 oh, brother, you want that? God says he'll give you the desires of your heart. No matter what it is, God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, let me read the whole verse here. Listen to Psalm 37, 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And then he will give you the desires of your heart. Trusting in the Lord. Doing good. Feeding on his faithfulness. Delighting in the Lord then you're going to get the desired heart. You know why? Because if you're doing those four things, your heart will be in line with his heart and he'll answer your prayer. How about 2 Chronicles 7, 14? It starts out conditionally. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my faith, turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal their land. Conditional. Micah 3, 4. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. God just does not write a blank check out for prayer. I'm sorry for for answering. There's conditions attached to it. The word filled is a very generous word. It's a very generous reward. In other words, it's the idea of feeding and fattening animals in a stall. It speaks of filling and satisfying men with an abundance of food. Those who have a hunger and thirst for righteousness will not be disappointed. The word fill means fill to the fullest. You can't fill it anymore. You can't put it, pour into it anymore. It's like when you eat and you eat and you eat and you're so full, I can't eat another bite. That's what God said. I will fill you to the fullest to where you can't take in anything else. The psalmist said in Psalm 107.9, For he satisfies the longing soul and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. So there we have the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Now we'll go look at the fifth one, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they, that is the merciful, shall obtain mercy. Now mercy... This is the attitude of God's love that causes him to help the miserable. Just like grace is the side of his love that moves him to forgive the guilty. Now, those who are miserable might be so, okay? We might be miserable because of, number one, we broke God's law. Yeah, we're not going to experience a joyful time when we break God's law. Or because of circumstances that are beyond our control. And there's many times in life that things happen that, we have no control over. But God shows mercy on those who have broken his law even. Even though this mercy is selective, proving that it's not something that's deserved. God's going to show mercy to whoever, whomever he wants. Listen to what Paul said in Romans nine fourteen through 18. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture said to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. God's mercy on the miserable goes beyond punishment that's withheld. 
Though he withholds punishment, God will give and give us mercy above that. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God is so rich in his mercy that he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Now, mercy, mercy is not, all right, understand, mercy is God. I'm sorry, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Thank you, Lord. We need that mercy, which is that, and what we deserve is judgment. So mercy is God not giving us what we deserve, which is judgment. Grace, on the other hand, is God giving us what we don't deserve, which is salvation. Withheld punishment keeps us from hell, but it doesn't get us into heaven. God's mercy is greater than this. God also shows mercy by eagerly helping those who are miserable due to circumstances beyond their control. And we see this side of mercy, especially in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the man that was, that was, that was born blind? That was beyond his control. Jesus healed them. The lepers who got leprosy, beyond their control. He healed them. And these acts of healing grew out of Jesus' attitude of compassion and mercy. And then lastly, because God is merciful, God expects his children, you and me, to be merciful. Now, the Beatitudes give principles for holy behavior. They also give instructions for true happiness. And these instructions for happiness are totally different from the world's instructions. You see, the world puts a premium on stuff, things, earthly possessions, and position. But in the Beatitudes, Jesus puts a premium on spiritual graces. Happiness comes as a result of condition of the condition of the inward man, not the result of the condition of the outward man. Remember when Paul was in prison? He experienced joy. Him and Silas, they were singing, praising the Lord. In Philippians, when Paul was in jail, Philippians is a small book, but joy is mentioned several times in that book. He was writing about joy, and yet he was in prison. So, and then you have, you have Nero, who was the emperor, lived in a palace, he wasn't a happy man. So it's no different today. In other words, there are people in high positions and with great possessions in the world, but they're sometimes the unhappiness, unha- most unhappy people in the world. Well, on the other hand, you have those who are in lowly positions and they don't have very much in the way of worldly possessions and they seem to have a corner on happy street. When it comes to happiness, the Beatitudes are the Lord's way of saying God hates the wisdom of this world. And through the Beatitudes, he shows how he's totally against the world's ideas about his truth. The requirement in this Beatitude is mercy. And the word translated mercy is a very passionate word. It means help the afflicted, the worthless, and the miserable. You see... Mercy, giving mercy is to reverse everything that is harsh, that is cruel, oppressive, or harmful. It leans towards pity. To be merciful is to have pity for those who are in need. We are to show this pity, but 
It is not to be based on the worth of the person who's in need. We're not to look at that person, eh, you know, or judge that person because of the way they look or who they are or whatever. We're not to give the mercy based on who the person is or their worth. It's because God has asked us to. We do it in obedience to God and, in, and again, because of the person's need. The value of the person is not involved in the giving of this mercy, just like the value of the person is not given in, in, when, when grace is given. Now, because the two attitudes, mercy and grace, are so close in definition and often looked at, the, at, at, at the, as the same thing, we need to understand that grace takes away the fault. Mercy takes away the misery. The best definition of the two is grace is especially related to men in their sin. Mercy is especially related to men in their misery. And mercy also includes more than just an attitude of pity that, that our, our carnal flesh you know, makes us feel. Mercy is also about doing something. It's also doing something. It, it, it involves showing sympathy and compassion by helping those who are needy. It involves being ready to give help when help is needed, which comes from a desire to relieve the suffering of, the, of other people. Again, it, it's, not, it, it's not that weak and sickly sympathy that our carnal flesh manages to feel, but then it doesn't do anything to help the neighbor in need. James talks about this subject of action, this action accompanying attitude when it comes to other people. When he said in James 2, 15 through 16, he said, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you say, oh, goodbye. Have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give the person any food or clothing. He says, what good does that do? And you are to have wisdom. You're to use wisdom in the mercy that you give out. Looking at the setting here in the mercy that Jesus is talking about, he's talking about wise mercy. It's sensible, okay? It's sensible in how this mercy is implemented. In other words, the mercy that Jesus is talking about here, it knows when giving a handout is or isn't the most important thing to do for the person, depending on that person's situation, all right? Instead of a handout, maybe they need a job. Or counsel. Those things might be better for them, though, though they might not think so. And, uh, and I know through the years in ministry, you know, we see again, you know, today we see a lot more homeless people than ever, ever before. We see them on the corners of freeways. We see them on the corners of intersections. We see them everywhere in every town. And, and you know, and, 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 you know, people are, you know, giving them, you know, handouts. And I don't mean that in a negative way. They're, they're helping them in, in the way they feel they can. But again, what Jesus is talking about is wisdom, being wise in, in what we do for them. Again, giving them what they need, not just, just giving them something that is going to maybe have them continue on in the situation they are. You know, and I, I've met those folks over the years. And, and, you know, when we first started at the theater, uh, many of you may remember when you were, if you were facing the stage, which was... The, the, the platform for the, the uh, preaching the, the gospel on the right side there were the exit doors and that led out to an area where we'd had homeless people would stay out there and, and you know they'd be back there and they'd be sleeping at night and camping out and doing their thing but I ran in the, into the sanctuary there one morning uh, I, I can't remember what I went in there for but 
I could hear them. I could hear some guys talking out there by those doors. And so I just had to go listen. I, I, you know, I just went, what do they talk about all day? They were sitting there talking. So I went over there and I listened and they're just talking nonsense and this and that. And then one guy said, well, you know, I, I got to go to work now. And the other guy asked surprisingly, he says, you got a job? He said, yeah. And for many of you, remember that the liquor store that was just right down there, the kids would go buy candy and gum and we'd go buy sodas or whatever, water, whatever. It was. Well, he says, yeah, I go stand in front of the liquor store and ask for money and people give it to me. That was his job. Why, when I, why should I go to work? They just give me the money. I met another guy named Johnny, neat, neat guy. I really liked this guy. He was a character, uh, but he was an alcoholic. And he combined, he'd have, he'd have his can or his little bottle in his little brown bag, and he'd stop in the office. Hey, Joe, how you doing? And, hey, Johnny. He goes, oh, Johnny and Joe, you sound like a singing group. <laughs> and he starts singing, and, you know, and it, it was just a neat guy. And, and just, you know, we'd talk, and, and, and he'd say, oh, you know, I, I'm... I, I need a job. And I, well, Johnny, what's keeping you from getting a job? He said, well, I don't have any ID. Well, what do you need for an ID? I need six bucks and I need a way to get down there. I said, I tell you, what, you come here tomorrow. I'll, t- I'll take you, I'll give you the six bucks to go get an ID and I'll drive you to the, to the DMV. He never showed up the next day. And I didn't see him for a long time. But I mean, yeah, something could have happened. But a lot of times, I mean, he was there like clockwork all day. I was just part of his walk. He was right through the, the old, old parking lot there at the theater. And he stopped by and we'd chat. But a lot of times, you know, what we do for them doesn't help them. It just, it, they just continue in the position that they're in. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. We have to be careful that we're not helping them to be lazy or frauds. It's also not merciful, or I'm, yeah, it's also merciful not to give somebody charity who would misuse it. Uh, a few months back, when it, remember earlier in the year when it was raining a lot? I pulled up here one morning, and, and back there by the, the east door, um, there's a little like, roof there, and, and, and the, the lady and a guy, homeless folks, they were sitting there, and I pulled up, and the lady came out right away. She said, oh, sir, she says, could you give money for some beer? And, and I go... No. <laughs> she said, well, I'm being honest. Yeah, well, I am too. You <laughs> know, I'm not going to give you money to go have some. Oh, you know, I really need a beer. I said, I'm not giving you money for your, for your beer. Uh, but again, they just, you know, but people without checking, I mean, she just came out and she said, you know, I need a beer. But, you know, something, oh, you know, I'm hungry. And, I, and, and that may be true. But, you know, if we can, it would be better to, to buy them something to eat or, you know, to help them out in a way that's really going to help them rather than just, oh, oh, here's, you know, money and, and, well, you know, and here's what, well, whatever they do, with, that's between them and God. Well, you know what? Yeah, it is. But, you know, it would be, we could help them more by, you know, giving them something that they really need. And that's what the kind of mercy that Jesus is speaking about here. We also have to make sure we're not just quick to give them, just to give it, just to give it without, you know, Maybe we don't have the time to check out what the situation is and how we could be more helpful or something that we might be able to do for them that would really help them. But we need to be careful too and just not tossing whatever it might be to them because we don't want to, you know, check out what is really best to help them. And then men often distort what it means to be merciful. Being merciful does not mean we are to tolerate evil behavior and just ignore it. 
A lot of people think that the merciful person is somebody who just smiles at a person's transgression and their law-breaking as if it wasn't important. In church, there are some also who think being merciful is to not get upset about the sinful behavior of some people. Being merciful doesn't mean that we should be easygoing, which is a danger in any age, and especially like the one that we are living in right now, when it comes to respecting the law or discipline. We're not to be easygoing. And in a sense, they don't think that justice or righteousness is all that important. Our society today is tolerating, very tolerating. And you could say even to some degree, encouraging all kinds of wicked behavior today under the mistaken appearance of, I'm showing love and mercy. But this toleration of evil has nothing to do with mercy or even with love. It has to do with the corruption of the heart even more. The corruption of the heart of the one who's been doing the tolerating. And even more perverted philosophy about mercy is showing mercy to minimize or totally eliminate the punishment of some crimes. We just saw the governor not that long ago put an end to capital punishment. Why? Because those and those with him the death penalty is treated by many as a very oh it's an unmerciful act but it's not mercy that's cruelty to the innocent victims of those that person may have hurt and society for those that that man might hurt later on this holy mercy that jesus talked this holy mercy in the attitude is a holy disposition which is the opposite of the foolish sentimentality that ignores the requirements of justice and that persuades many to sympathize with those who deserve their punishment and misery we see a lot of people today breaking the law and people get caught up in the emotions. They see the consequence of them breaking the law and they, have, they, 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 they start moving by their emotions. Hey, look, you break the law, you suffer the consequences. And I, I have no pity for them. You kill somebody, you abuse a child, whatever that crime might be, and you go to jail. Don't complain, oh, well, you know, the food is poor here, and then, you know, it's like a cage, we can't do anything. Wait a minute, <laughs> let's find out how you got there. That's why it's called prison. You break the law, you suffer the consequences. But we see people looking at these people in jail suffering the consequences and they want to cut their sentences down, they want to let them go, and oh, it's just so inhumane. What about what they did to somebody out in the street? Somebody's child, somebody's husband, somebody's wife. The world sympathizes with those who are getting what they deserve. Remember when Saul spared King Agag? Samuel didn't think that was an act of mercy on Saul's part. Because you see, Agag was a cruel and wicked man and he deserved the sentence of death that he, that, he was, that he was given. But Saul decided to spare him. So Samuel said to Agag in, in 1 Samuel fifteen thirty three, he said to Agag, Agag, as your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother is going to be childless. 
And then Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgag. Their form of capital punishment was a lot more brutal then than it is today. He cut them to pieces. Mercy was seen in the killing of Agag so that his cruelty, cruelty could no longer be a threat to the children. It was Samuel being merciful to the innocent that called for Agag's death. So leniency to criminals when it comes to their punishment isn't mercy at all. It's cruelty, and it's cruelty to the victims and the potential victims of that criminal. So like the last, and all the Beatitudes, how does one become merciful? Once again, it comes from the Word. It comes from reading the Word. The more you read the Word, the more you'll be encouraged to show mercy. Scripture is the key to all Beatitudes. Scripture is the key to holy behavior. And the more you read the word, the more you'll be interested, as I said, to read or to show mercy. So to be serious about reading and studying your scriptures. You'll be more likely to be merciful. It will be it will have a lot to do with developing good character. And as we've seen in the other Beatitudes, prayer is also essential if we're going to develop any of the Beatitudes. We need to pray so that God will help us to be merciful. Now, we pray, and, and you know, a lot of times we, we, we ask God for a lot of things. And maybe some of the things that we ask God for are questionable when it comes to, are they, real, are they the will of God? But when you ask to be merciful, that's totally of the will of God. Pray for it, pray for it often, pray for it honestly, and God will give you the answer to that prayer. God will make you merciful. Then... The reward for this beatitude, he said, Jesus said, they, that is those who are merciful, they shall obtain mercy. This reward is only to those who are merciful. The word they seems to stress the fact that those who practice mercy will receive mercy. They, they are the only ones who will get to know the fullness of God's mercy. And it's for sure that the merciful man is doing himself good. He's doing good to his soul. But don't confuse mercy, this mercy, with salvation. Because verse 7 here is not talking about salvation. It's talking about the overall experience of life, where if you want to experience mercy, then you have to show mercy. It's a reward that one will experience in their life, both from God and man. God has a way of, of paying back or rewarding our behavior. In other words, what you do to others will be done unto you. What we reap, we will sow, Paul said in Galatians. If we're merciful to others, others will be merciful to us. Now, all men won't treat you kindly because some men are cruel and it doesn't matter how much mercy you show them. But God will make sure that the merciful will experience receiving mercy in their own lives. So in closing... We need mercy more than anything else. We need mercy all day long, all of our life. Mercy gives us so much more than worth. And never pray. Never pray for what you think you deserve. You don't want what you deserve. First of all, you won't get much if you're praying for what you deserve. And again, you truly don't want what you deserve. Praying for mercy will open the windows of heaven and blessing wider than any other thing that we could do. There's never a second in our life where we don't need mercy. Especially from all those around us and especially from God. 
We need to pray like David did in Psalm 86.3. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling on you constantly. Notice, David knew the need for mercy constantly. David begs God to look at him. Lord, look at me with pity and compassion. Be merciful to me, O Lord. It's God's mercy to pardon our sin and to help us out of all of our misery. But both of these are included in this prayer. God, be merciful to me. Compassion and pity. Men don't show any mercy. We ourselves don't deserve any mercy. But our Lord, for mercy's sake, be merciful to me. Father, thank you again for this beautiful beatitude, Lord. And and again, as they just continue to go on, God, help us. Help us to put on Christ, Lord. Father, for again, the Beatitudes aren't a list of things to be done. They are things that we are, things that we are to be. And Lord, it's through, again, your word and prayer. Father, where we will be able to live and to do as you ask of us, God. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And and, and in reading the Beatitudes and especially the ones that we just looked at, in order to do anything that Jesus asks, (coughs) asks of us, It requires supernatural power. Christ, nothing is impossible when Christ is working through us. All things are possible with Christ. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship right now. And as they do. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. When the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.